Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. But it is held by me. I'm Brian Charlton. I'm co-host of Tuesday Topics along with the ever-present, ever-everything, Mr. Paul Edwards. How are you doing this evening, Paul? I am well, thanks you, sir. There you go. And uh, the weather in your neck of the woods is delightful? It's, it's very nice, and it's my middle daughter's birthday today. Ooh, so we just, we just came back from a dinner at... Um, at Outback with uh, with lots of folks, 12 folks for a dinner. It's nice. You weren't alone, that's for sure. No. Uh, let's see, let's see, we also have Mr. Larry. How are you doing, Larry? I feel isolated. I don't see anybody around me, but I hear voices. I hear Paul and Brian and Marianne and maybe even a little Rick as well. There may be other voices before the night. We won't over. talk about those. That's a we different can topic. Only hope. <laughs> That's right. And then there's, of course, the ever-present Mister, apparently Little Rick. I didn't know. <laughs> Put those together. Rick, are you there? <laughs> little Rick. Little Rick. That's what he called you. What can I say? You have to ask Larry about Little this. Rick. We don't know what it refers to, and we don't want to know. I, I, no, I, I don't know. That, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Beetlejuice tonight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now is that, so is that, that very lonely and very did isolated? Do you get 12 ounce yeah. bottles of that? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the lovely Marianne. How are you doing? I'm good, Brian. How are you today? Doing well. Doing and well. And just for everyone's information, it was a um, British woman who um, did some YouTube videos, who's blind, younger woman, who named all of her canes Rick the Stick. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> My daughter shared that with me. I don't, I do not have I, a Shane the cane. <laughs> I remember that uh, I'm just those who might know Darian Slayton from Oregon. I, I do, yes. Her, her cane was simply named Co. <laughs> I wish I'd thought and, of that. Okay. Uh, that would have been good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we digress and we do other things too, but we won't tell you about That's those. That's what happens when you're isolated. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. What it is. Now, Paul, you wrote a very nice description of what I think at first you thought was a kind of off-the-wall old-fashioned dish kind of topic but you've you've seen the light and you now know this is a very timely topical topic and that is is. loneliness and its ramifications and causes and things one can do about such things i uh watched a interview with the uh that's what's it what do they call it the i want to call it the General of Health, um, Surgeon General, that's what I was looking for. The Surgeon General, through his auspices, has declared loneliness a national epidemic. And uh, a lot of research went behind making that statement and putting out uh, a rather lengthy document on the subject. But I thought of 
loneliness originally more as an aspect of post-COVID and how people changed their way of living to adapt to COVID. And they had to do it pretty quickly. But they're not returning to, so to speak, the new normal very rapidly. Then, after I read the uh, or the old General's normal. report, yeah, after I read the Surgeon General's report, it turns out that way before COVID, starting back in uh, 2012 or so, there's been an ever increasing number of cases of loneliness uh, that have been placed into the public record and they cross-referenced that whole concept of loneliness with other medical issues. And apparently, if you are chronically lonely, you have a higher chance of <clears throat> heart attack, a higher chance at um, dementia. Uh, so I find it interesting whenever they can correlate a mental situation with a physical one so it's it literally does cost this country billions of dollars in extra medical expense because we're not dealing with loneliness very well now i am of the opinion at least that <clears throat> there's always two sides to every everything out there so the loneliness happened at least in part because people took advantage of working from home rather than the office. Now, while you were working, Paul, what percentage of your friends and social interactions were as a result of work? Quite, quite a proportion. And, and, and I thought you were going to ask me the other question. The, I, I might work at home one day out of 250. And, and that would be generally because I had a grant that had to get written and trying to write it from work was, was often too much of a problem because there were just too many other things many. going on. Yeah, exactly. But you were at work virtually every work day. Yes. You didn't work in a closet somewhere. No. You were a, you were a manager of I was. a variety of people. And mm -hmm. you had people coming and going all of the time. And mm -hmm. having been a friend of yours through many of those years, I know that you uh, knew an awful lot of people by their first name and interacted with them in that regard. Yes. So isolated you were not. No. Uh, lonely. Well, is isolation synonymous with loneliness? Probably not. In your uh, workaday life, Marianne, how about you? How much interaction with others was I have, typical? Uh, typically, I have a lot of interaction with people. Um, I probably, uh, well, I work twice, e even um, through the pandemic, believe it or not, vendors were considered essential workers. <laughs> so I never didn't work, right? So I, I had interaction with people all along. And then I kind of gave up the goat. I got vaccinated, I got boosted and, you know, when we could and when that all happened and, um, and I just, um, I saw immediate 
I saw friends that I, you know, knew also had been vaccinated and whatnot. So I've, I've been pretty socially active um, since I would say June of the year of the pandemic. And, and I don't mean that like now I'm much more socially active, obviously, but I did have a small circle of people that I saw on a regular basis, even at that time. And, it, you know, this term small circle, you know, we were encouraged to kind of create bubbles around ourselves of groups of people who we all were confident were taking the reasonable precautions so we could have a little bit of a social circle. Most of those ended up being families, but not by any means all people did that. But that contraction of all the people you know down to a select few to interact with on a regular basis uh, certainly and it, it was interesting set of problems. Go ahead. It was interesting, Brian, because <clears throat> the notion of a bubble here um, was people you know well without very much relation to how close they were to you. Um, in the UK, the bubble, the bubble essentially said you can't go anywhere and nobody can go anywhere, but you can form a bubble with your neighbors if you know them, which, there you go. which was a very sure. different kind of approach. Yes, um, that's more of a yeah. geographic proximity Correct. than Correct. Uh, a relationship and, and, proximity. And, and it absolutely messed up blind people because there are a lot of blind people who don't know their neighbors. I, I don't know my neighbors now. Me either. Uh, I'm the exception to the rule. I've lived here for 35 years in this house. And uh, I know the neighbors on all sides of me. Mm -hmm. um, and I've got a schoolyard behind me. And I've got a cemetery uh, one and a half houses away from me. That's very convenient uh, for you. So, yeah, yeah. And some friends are now very near neighbors. <laughs> um, but anyway, how about you, Larry? How about your social interaction pre and post pandemic? Well, my I have been blessed all my life to get to, to know people and to see people. I'm a people person, yeah, me uh, too. big time, and it got even uh, more interesting after after my wife Melinda died in 2012. I decided I could either deal with it and not reach out to people, or uh, I had some well, or or get involved with people, and unfortunately, I sing obviously. Mm -hmm. So I've got a huge circle of friends who are barbershoppers. I have my church. Uh, I have my radio people. Tons of people. Uh, so even though they weren't necessarily living close to me in all cases, I could re I could call them on the phone. Uh, I worked, and I worked until uh, October of twenty. 2020, I guess, and then retired, and then of course I'm doing this now for ACB. So I had and still do have tons of friends. And after Melinda died, I decided I'm going to get to the point where I will stay busy because that's what I want to do. And it helped a great deal. So uh, even though I didn't physically see a, a lot of people, I still saw close friends. Uh, and I could always call somebody or talk to somebody or email somebody, no matter who it might have been. Uh, and I still saw my neighbors. Uh, not all of them. It, it did get... To the point where, in some cases, I wouldn't see people for days except for John. Uh, of course, he lives with me now. 
but I, I still had the opportunity to talk to people, uh, but I just couldn't physically see them because sometimes they were in their houses during the pandemic, sometimes not. But I I never felt isolated for really for that reason. I, I could see and talk to and get to someone if I needed a question answered or if I just needed to talk or relax and enjoy somebody's company. I I was fortunate. I never had an issue. The hardest I, thing I, was family from across the country. I didn't see my family uh, for two years. Wow. My sisters and my daughter for a year and a half. Wow. I say that that was That's my isolation. That's where I felt isolated. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. How I about think you, Rick? Is Rick available? He must have stepped oh. away. He must have. I, and, go ahead. Brian, oh. I think that. I think that we all learned a, a whole different set of coping mechanisms during COVID. Um, I, I think lots of us um, got involved in, in doing ACB stuff. I know I repurposed um, Tuesday topics um, right at about the time that COVID was starting, largely because uh, <clears throat> I really felt that there wasn't a good way of encouraging people um, within ACB and me um, to be able to have uh, appropriate conversations and to think about um, some of the ways that our lives were changing. And I was really concerned at the time, among other things, um, with the huge disadvantages that people who were blind um, uh, were suffering as a result of COVID, and there were there were huge numbers of them, as 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 studies have demonstrated. That the 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 reason I make the point though is to say that um, what we did in 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 ACB, uh, I think, was to turn a disadvantage in into a huge plus by recognizing. That the only way we could turn some of these things around that were that were beginning to be awful um, were to become more active as an organization and more active as individuals at creating places where people could share information. Certainly, the exponential growth of ACB community uh, deals with this issue pretty sure. dramatically. Uh, would it have had that level of success had there not been a vacuum out there in terms of ways for blind people to get together uh, and socialize? You know, not all of the programs on uh, community are based on blindness things. Most right. of them are not based on blindness things, but they've developed this following of individuals who wouldn't think of ever missing a program, a, a item on the calendar. Um, week, I, I, I think eventually community would have grown, but not anywhere near as quickly as it has um, as a result of COVID. So one of the things I wanted to talk about this with is um, how many of you currently have a uh, Facebook account. I do. I do. And yeah. how many friends <laughs> do you have? 
3,000. About 120. Marianne, did you say something? Uh, <clears throat> well, Alexa did, but I'll answer the question. <laughs> I just set a Facebook account up about two months ago. And so I maybe have about 30 friends. Um, and I did it as a learning tool. I'm, I'm, I'm not a face. I'm not a social media person at all. I have some concerns about social media, but I did it so I could learn to use it in um, the yeah. event that I need it for work right. someday. But but Brian's going to ask me the other question: um, How mm -hmm. often are you on Facebook? Yeah, exactly. Go ahead and ask it. <laughs> Go and, for it. And, we'll all and, answer it. <laughs> and and the answer is virtually never. Hardly ever. Yeah. I think the only time I go on, and I have got close to 3,000 friends, but I started in 29, 2009, and, and I too, I used to be on Facebook all the time. And then I began to see what social media, and, and in some cases Facebook, was doing to people I knew, and sometimes people I didn't know, and I didn't like yep. it at all. And I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Why should I waste my time? The only reason I'm here is, to, is that I have church friends and family friends. And family. So I stayed on it. I didn't delete the account because I was tempted. But I am rarely on Facebook. It still it still beeps at me when somebody posts something. I see it on my phone. Right. And then I have to decide, okay, is this worth my while to click on it to see what's going on? You uh, know, and, I, and, I, and I've got a hundred friend requests that I really should do something yeah. about, and I haven't. I, I, I was on it the other day because ACBDA is launching a new Facebook page and I was one of the nice. admins of the other one which we foolishly it was my fault we foolishly decided well let's make it a private group well for three years we had 29 people because nobody knew about it <laughs> so I suggested let's get rid of this group we'll archive it and invite everybody who's in this group to come back to a new page but we'll make it public mm -hmm. but that's the last time I've been on it and that was two weeks ago I'm rarely on it and I have no desire to go back to it, and I don't have time. Hey, well, what's your point, Gangadin? Yeah, that's it. What's, so, what's your point? For, yeah. for me, one of the things is that you can blame only so much on COVID. You have to say that part of this growing loneliness is a virtual friends, virtual social interaction. Are you really socially interacting in a way that keeps you from having uh, the problems that people who are lonely have, mental health, et cetera, et cetera? If you tweet, if you Facebook, if you uh, Instagram. You including email. email? Yeah. Sure, sure. Me messaging? It's this whole, uh, yeah, it's this What's whole online uh, business that has affected uh, individual health and collective health as well. Um, so one of the reasons I was concerned about this was when we were talking about artificial intelligence and the rapid things that that's creating, people look back on the beginnings of social networks via the internet right. as having had uh, a huge impact on our society, on the world society for that matter. Uh, but was it all good or was there parts of it that gave us a false impression 
of of what was going on in our lives. And I think it pretty much is the latter. Uh, I read email every day. I, I check my email hourly, uh, mostly to keep my head above water. I delete nine out of 10 emails um, that I get. And I have a Facebook account, but I have a Facebook account as part of trying uh, this project about Brian's Man Cave Kitchen. So it serves that purpose and that purpose only. My nieces who were visiting, they have every type of social network there is. Anything that has to do with it, they're all involved in all of that. And I think one it of, shows. In one, of the things, one of the things that I've been working on for the last four or five years <clears throat> has been the development and testing a vocational education tool um, that specifically is for use by people who are blind. Now, b- believe it or not, this does have something to do with what we're talking about now. And one of the one of the things that that we wanted to know um, in in that vocational education tool is what. What kind of social interaction do people who are blind have? Because we believed that there is a direct correlation between the amount of social interaction that blind people have and um, their their ability to be ready for work and to maintain employment. <clears throat> and one of the things that began to emerge as one of the components of this was that there were loads of people who demonstrated that um, they they were pretty active in uh, media like Facebook and Twitter and that kind of thing. But that, but that <clears throat> in terms of going out long before COVID came, because we were beginning to test just before COVID happened, but long before but rather than rather than going out for social interactions with friends, rather than going out in the evening um, to to a bar or to a show or to a movie or somewhere else, um, they were tending to stay at home um, and interact in terms of social media. And one of the questions that we asked ourselves was: this a good thing or a bad thing? And the question that we came up with, and I don't know the answer, I will give everybody here an opportunity to mess with it if you like. Were blind people pre the internet more isolated than the average bear? And and we were inclined to believe that the answer to that question was yes. If the answer to that question was yes, then perhaps the internet has actually worked in precisely the opposite way for people who are blind than it has for members of the general public. Because whereas for members of the general public, it tended to give them an option of staying at home and interacting online. For blind people, um, it was a question of staying at home before and now interacting with folks that they never did before. Interesting. I think that there's 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 a lot to be said for that point of view. Um, I would say that 
Uh, I haven't been able to find a study that talks about when, when the world had this thing called the telephone, mm -hmm. where people could pick up the phone and call and talk to somebody. Yeah, you have a good point, Brian. What what did that do in terms of keeping people from being isolated? And and, and, and was was that the barrier through which people who were blind came? And <clears throat> I, I I think there are some interesting things that we can say about that. One of them is that it wasn't really until the internet came along that the cost of long distance telephoning got cheaper. Right. Very true. That's absolutely um, true. Yep. And and so what that meant was there probably wasn't as much opportunity for folks who were blind to be using the phone in the way that they could or would have, say, five or ten years ago, twenty or twenty-five years ago. Um, I and and I think the other thing that we can that we can say is. There is a huge amount of evidence that blind people fell in love with um, telephone systems that allowed them to connect with bunches of people before um, social media came along. Um, so there are telephone systems where where there, everybody there were all kinds of different rooms that people owned where meetings happened, and piles and piles of blind people were very active in those. Yeah. I, that's true. So, so, uh, Larry, because you are so much involved in radio, um, here's my question of you. Is there a difference, and, and how would you describe the difference between being in a room with somebody versus being connected uh, via technology and being able to talk with them? Is, uh, there, a, is there a quality difference? Just in that aspect of it, or are you talking about the ability to actually be with somebody who is physically there with you as well? Are you, yes. are you, so that yeah. that, that I, also I, would enter into your equation. It's not the act sure. of talking that you're talking about. No. Okay. Uh, I have always, obviously I'm a people person, but but if I had the choice and I had it often before the pandemic... Uh, and I've had computers since 97, 98, I would always opt for the in-person mm -hmm. chance mm -hmm. to be with someone or some or people or like Melinda and I would always go out to dinner with friends and that would always, and I'm not saying this in any kind of a disparaging fashion towards people who happen to be in this Zoom room now, but but I enjoy being with people. And I enjoy also talking with people in Zoom, but if I had the choice, and I do still, it's I'm always there physically to be out somewhere with someone. That takes precedence over any other form of communication. And why is that? I don't disagree at all. I, I think it's. Why in, do you I think feel it's, there's a value in that? I think it's interaction. I think it's what uh, even I can't even though I can't see the person, uh, I still use physical gestures they can see me i may not be able to see them in all cases uh it, sometimes i'm with blind people sometimes i'm not but just the act of being with people and listening to how they communicate uh body language even though i don't may not know always what they're doing you know if they if they 
if they take a step forward towards me, etc. It, it's that kind of thing that you can't get necessarily in Zoom. Um, it's it's all kinds of senses that you have available to you and use in a in a physical sense when you're at dinner with somebody, when you're at a baseball game. All of those things, I I enjoy that more. I don't know if that answers your question. No, I, that, that really does. How about the others here? Um, I absolutely would prefer to be with people than <clears throat> I see. The, obviously, Zoom and those kinds of platforms have a, a, a definite value. It's awesome to get together with people across the country, but I really value my time out with a girlfriend or with a, you know other people. I I, I am a hugger. You know, I, I, I'm a toucher. Like I, so for me, um, the physical contact is really important. You know, in my house, and I didn't mention that. I didn't mention that, but it's so very true. One of the things we hated most, especially from a church perspective, is every Sunday we would walk up to somebody and say, "Hi, how are you?" and give them a hug. You can't do that very well with Zoom during the pandemic, and we all missed that. Yeah, I know I did. I think I I think I'm I'm part of the same group. I, I mean, many of us um, or some of us anyway have have gone back to conventions as soon as we could, um, and the primary reason for that is is because we really wanted the opportunity to be able to to be in person with other people and and to be sure that friendships uh, would operate. And it, and it's not that they wouldn't if you were talking to folks in Zoom, but but there is something inherently different about um, being being able to sit down together um, with, with without anybody having, for instance, to say a word. Um, you're just you're just hanging out. You may have a a, a drink in your hand, and uh, you're you're listening to the breeze and listening to what's going on around you. You have some friends with you, and and sometimes you're not even saying anything, and nobody is, mm-hmm. and that's very cool because it's it 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 is there is a bond that operates among folks who are friends. It seems to me that um, that personal closeness brings out uh, that that simply isn't available if if you're using a Zoom room. Absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So we're here in our Zoom room this evening, and my guess is that none of us are putting up video. At this I point. am not. I, I was earlier, but that's because it went on by itself, and I forgot to turn it I off. I did not this time. But I always do that when there are so, sighted people in the room, purposely, for yeah, for their benefit, sure. not necessarily mine. But I don't have it on here. Right. So, so do you think that that the um, virtual interaction between us using only the audio channel um, makes it different for us than it would for a sighted person who not only can hear the speaker but can see the speaker do you think that makes the isolation feel or the connection feel more real i don't know we'll have to ask rick I don't know the answer to that. I, I just know that every sighted person I'm in a Zoom room Zoom room with, they always, as a matter of course, have their video on. Yeah, that's, that's true. Just yep. about all. And, and even go, my daughter and I FaceTime sometimes, and she's always happy to see me. 
even though it doesn't mean anything to me because I can't see her, it means something to her. So I think sighted people do get much more from the um, virtual connection because of I would, the ability. So, to so you FaceTime so that you can do video rather than for any other reason, I'm assuming. Okay. We do it. Yeah. <laughs> I do it to ask her how something looks. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> you know, we connect. How does this how get something new in the mail? How does this look, Jewel? You know, it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, like that yeah it's like be my eyes but with a family member yep yeah yeah we do facetime a lot as yeah. a family it, it's it's amazing how how cool that is mm-hmm. it actually. is yep. it is so so for me it seems that there is a big difference between working out the definition of friendship mm-hmm. one of the the other statistics i've read here last couple of weeks has been that if you were to say how many close friends you have not counting relatives but close friends you have there's been a dramatic drop in how many on average close friends people have in this country Uh, i think i believe that i think i believe that now why would that be in the scheme of things um and Marianne, it's also true that women are more likely to have more friends than men do. Oh, that's absolutely true. And absolutely. I know very, I don't know. You all are the exception to the rule of men with friends. Um, every man I've ever been involved with has, my friends have become their friends. So, you know, without my friends, <laughs> So that is absolutely the truth. So how would you define a close friend and what they bring to your sense of loneliness or lack thereof? Me specifically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I have had some of the same friends um, for, I have one friend I've been, uh, that I've had since I'm 11. Um, And she just knows everything about me. She's the kind of person that, um is is always on my side but you know is always truthful but in the end of the day somebody i can call if i have to in the middle of the night um and um so it's someone who with whom first of all with whom i have some things in common and so trust is the i guess probably the biggest factor those that remain friends of mine are people who who have not broken trust Trust is really important to me anyway, um, in terms of um, maintaining friendships. So, Larry or, or Paul, how about you guys? I would say that I have a, I have tons of friends, but I have a smaller circle of close friends and it's all based, based on trust. And it's people I've come to know since high school maybe even before, some of Melinda's friends became my friends. And I still have friends. I still have all of her family are still very close, and we see each other not as often as we we used to since the pandemic, but we keep planning on that. I have a few friends who uh, I would call at any time if if I needed something. Uh, There's trust involved. Sometimes I just call to talk. And I have a couple friends who... uh, the first person I called, one of the first people I called after my wife passed away was a friend. 
who is a longtime friend since probably the 90s. And I told him Melinda died. He said, oh, God, I'll be right over. And he works and, and still works. And he just jumped up, told his wife what was going on, and he was over in 10 minutes. And he, was, he, he helped me with so many things that week, but he was there not only to help me, but to hang out, you know, if I needed anything. There are a very small group of friends, aside from family, that, that I have that would and have done those kinds of things for me. And so much of that's trust, and it builds up after a while, and you know who you can call, and you know what the reaction's going to be when you call. And you know who you can be a friend to right. as well. right. Right. So it's a reverse thing too. like, you know, the kind of person that, you know, could call upon you and you would do anything for them, you know, and I'd say, you know, just a handful of those people and from lots of other acquaintances and and other good friends, but not like that. From a personal standpoint, it's great, too, because and, and, you know, I don't I don't ask him to do this. But sometimes there, there are things sometimes as blind people we don't catch, obviously, that that are visual. Mm-hmm. And we, well, I catch a lot, but I don't catch everything, obviously. And he seems to know that. And so he'll describe things to me that either I missed or in terms of trying to make the story even more communicative to me, he'll describe what somebody did, how they did it. And I may, as a blind person, not know how it came about. But he goes into depth to the point where he'll take my hands and show me the shape of whatever it was. And I can't tell you exactly what it might have been now because I can't remember. But but it's just some things that maybe a sighted person would take for granted because they've seen all their life. And if I have not had that issue where I could necessarily see it, he'll try and demonstrate stuff to me as well. It's amazing some of the things that he's been able to do for years that make me understand what sighted people sometimes take for granted. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. I didn't ask him and, to do it. He just did it. Yeah. It was just, that's the way he rolls. Yeah. In his it, exactly. Exactly. Now, Rick and I have been uh, accused of having a bromance because we did a great deal together. Um, and in that, that was absolutely the experience I was having. That is, if something horrible happened in the middle of the night, I could pick up the phone call, Rick, and Rick would be there. And I believe he felt that the same was true in reverse. Uh, you talking about our, our bromance? Yeah, I'm talking <laughs> about our bromance. Exactly. Exactly. Are there pictures? Can I tell stories about our, can I tell stories about our bromance? <laughs> you can. Um, We're all ears. My, my favorite story is, remember Brian in Philadelphia? Yes. And uh, who who is the do- your dog at the time? Uh, it was, uh, I believe it was Bethel. Yeah, it was Bethel. It was definitely Bethel, right? So we're crossing the street, and, and you know, I would always get out in the street ahead of you a little bit, and Bethel finally got mm-hmm. sick and tired of this. So she, we're at one corner, and she pl- plants both her feet on my feet, you know, like oh. you're, not, you're, not go- you're not going anywhere <laughs> And there was this couple from Ireland, you know, we were at a, at an intersection with an audible, uh, crossings, uh, light and this Irish couple next to us saying, Oh, look at them. Boy, aren't they a cute gay blind couple? <laughs> <laughs> because Rick kept looking behind him 
saying, come on, sweetie. Come on, sweetie. But he was talking to my talking to the dog. dog. Talking to the talking dog. To yeah. the dog. <laughs> talking to the dog. Yeah. And then, the, then there was that time, you know, when we were in the grocery store. What they think that I was your father or something like yes, that? Yes, that was kind we, of bizarre. We, were, we did some. I thought it was very apropos. We <laughs> we were doing some general shopping, and we had to separate our groceries when we got to the checkout. And the lady, Rick, was in front and says, "Will you be?" <laughs> Will you be paying for your son's things as well? <laughs> uh, anyways, you know, I, I, I just disappeared for a little while because I got a call from my house, right? So I'm talking to my mm -hmm. house. I hang up the phone and I hear <laughs> what I hear is, yeah, Rick and I have, you know, had a bromance, you know? <laughs> it's like... Got to get oh, on there before he hurry up before he, before he says stuff much. he's not supposed to. God. There you go. Anyway, anyway, the the importance of close friends I don't think can be overstated in terms of fending off things like loneliness and the like. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just a matter of quantity; it's a matter of quality. It's much more a matter of relationship. Quality. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Mister so Brian. Our, go ahead. I, yes, I, I want to add a, a two or three more elements, I think, into this the, the whole question of the way blind people are operating, particularly um, post-COVID, because some of the times uh, I don't even notice it until people who can see talk to me about it, because blind people, for the most part, for instance, don't go around saying, I'm still wearing my mask all the time. Um, generally, they don't want to draw attention to that, but there are a number of blind people who essentially continue to do that, and there are a number of blind people who uh, are isolating in their house um, primarily because they really are scared to death of um, of secondary issues that they have with regard to COVID. I think most people now are pretty comfortable that if COVID was just COVID, they deal with it. But if they are, if they are type one diabetics or bronchitis, um, if if they have breathing issues, right. um, um, they're essentially saying to themselves, "I I I don't want to take any risks that I'm going to get something uh, like COVID, and then it's going to um, take over some of the other." Uh, positions that I operate with. So I think that that blind people, in particular those who have secondary issues, and that means, by the way, in particular, blind people who are older uh, are essentially saying, I am not prepared to take risks. And what that is doing is it's creating a degree of isolation for a, a large group of our population that I think is not necessarily going to be the same as the isolation for, for um, some other components of the population. Do I think that older people who aren't blind are isolating as well? Sure, I do. Um, but, but I think it becomes more, more of a problem um, for people who are blind because those folks who aren't blind, um, who are isolating, will typically have figured out ways of getting most of the issues that they have solved 
and they feel more comfortable with that. Whereas for many of the blind folks who are isolated, they are the very folks who don't have the technological savvy, for example, um, to do as well with things like Instacart and uh, some of the other options that are out there that many of us technologically competent blind people used all the way through the pandemic. No question in my mind that that's the case. I know a number of our affiliates through the pandemic became believers in uh, telephone trees mm -hmm. where people would make a commitment to contact two or three other members of the affiliate uh, and then spread that down like uh, branches of a tree and cover everybody on a regular basis. Well, you know, during snowstorms here in New England, one of the things that they repeatedly say is, please pay attention to your elderly neighbors. Uh, I know it, that this weather's hard on you, but please pay attention to your elderly neighbors because they may not have anybody to look after them uh, if the power goes out or or whatever. It's It's a it's a community responsibility. Now, during the course of the past three or four years, I, I, I moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. So all of my family are in Oregon or Washington. And I get out there maybe once every other year or so uh, on some other trip, and I do a side trip to see them, that kind of thing. But both of my brothers, have fallen into serious depression as a result of social isolation. One retired and he and his wife moved to the coast where they had no friends, where they had, uh, you know, it was, you had to plan to go into the valley uh, over a, a, a mountain range to see anybody they knew. And they moved into a community which didn't have a lot of infrastructure to it for social engagement kind of thing. My other brother ended up <clears throat> uh, living alone for the first time in some time and struggling through some issues of his own. And I've now got to the point where I play backgammon with my brother Brad on Friday mornings over the phone. Uh, and it's like playing any other game table game it's nine tenths chit chat and one tenth game uh, and my younger brother lynn is busy building one of those five masted uh sailboats uh, in miniature and i'll tell you i know more about building miniature boats than I ever wanted to because that's what floats his boat and i feel that he needs me to be a bit of a social anchor. He does not have friends. Uh, neither of them really have much in the way of friendships. And they find themselves in their uh, well, 60 to 70 years of age without a, uh, a social connection for themselves. So this is not uniquely blind. This is an across the board problem that we are having uh and in fact while we've been talking about elders a poor according to the stats the ones who are most affected by this loneliness trap are young people 
uh, part of and, which is because and what's the reason have, for that? Yeah, because if you have a thousand people that you call friends, because that's what they're called on Facebook, your friends, uh, and you are half engaged with them because you have something uh, common in interest of, of one kind or another. Maybe you are in the online gaming and so that's that's your connection to that person you know so little about them and they know so little about you that it really ought to be called an acquaintance not a friend but the word friend is out there over and over and over again and young girls in particular are subject to this i'm going to compare myself not to just my neighbor i'm going to compare myself to a thousand people and i will find myself wanting as a result of those kind of comparisons so a lack of close friends and a plethora of acquaintances creates a, a an unhealthy situation for people i consider i have two maybe three layers of friends i have those that are friends as a result of shared occupation i have friends who are friends as a result of uh familial connection and i also have my acb friends uh and i was so disappointed that i wasn't able to be uh face to face across a table at a restaurant with those friends during the uh, leadership seminar and uh, currency rally situation. Got that far and got COVID. So wasn't able to go and socialize with people in that regard. And I will tell you very clearly that any amount of this online conversation, you know, I'd, I'd give up 100 hours of this for one hour of that. Agreed. And we have some hands, Agreed. so I don't know when you're ready for them. Two hands. Now is a perfect time. Two hands. Okay. Or maybe three, maybe six, if they're using both of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, we have Jean. Jean Man. Hello. Oh, good you evening, Jean. Hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't even know where to start because you guys come up with so many topics that I have thoughts about, but I have a small group of what I would consider really close friends. None of them are blind, um, but they're the people that have come through for me, you know, all these years. And when I had surgeries, they were the ones that took me to the hospital, stayed with me till the surgeries were over, came back to my house where I am now, you know, day after day to make sure I was all right and see if I needed anything. Um, they're still the ones that are around the most. And, even during COVID, I saw most of them. So, um, whereas everybody else here, well, most people here were staying in um, and staying in their apartments. I was abiding by the rules by wearing my mask, but, and we didn't, you know, we'd go out one or two of us at a time. So I never, I never really felt isolated. Um, I still don't because anytime I start to feel a little bit isolated, because there are days when I don't leave this apartment, I'm just doing things here. Um, anytime I really need to see people, all I have to do is go out and sit by the elevator or down to the lobby. There's always people around. 
I don't have close friends here, but I know enough of them, although they're always moving in and out. But I do know enough people. There's always somebody to talk to if you really want to. So um, I had to make a couple comments when you were talking about um, Rick and Brian, the things that people say, you know, is, are you shopping with your son? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One of my coworkers who is still a good friend and I went out shopping one day. I'm white. She's black. And um, people from her church came along. And said to her, oh, we see you're doing your mission work. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and one of us quite knew what to say. So anyway, um, and and, and I have to tell this one other little story. I don't see my, I have three brothers that are still alive and I don't see them very much. But uh, a few weeks ago, two of my brothers came down. Actually, they drove all the way from Buffalo to here, which is like four hours each way and did it in one day and just came and, you know, stayed for lunch and for a couple hours. And I hadn't seen them in a long time. As I'm getting older, I'm kind of shrinking. So my brother walked in, my youngest brother, and he said, "Well, am I getting taller or what? And I honestly, I'm a lot taller than I remembered him being. So I guess I have gotten a lot shorter. I don't know. But anyway, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, there was something else I was thinking of, and I don't know what it was now. But um, I do notice that I'm a lot of my friends are older than I am. And so I used to be out till all hours of the night in my younger days when I was working, I'd go come home and go out and we, you know, I, we were always out doing things. I was never one of those blind people that just went to work and came home. I was always out doing stuff, but now they're getting older and most of them don't like to drive at night. So yep. I'm in most of the time at by eight, nine o'clock at night. Yep. How, yeah, that's how, a, what? Go ahead. Go ahead. How much, um, how much, Gene, uh, do you think you have benefited from having things like the community, the community calls from ACB? Well, I don't do very many of them, to be honest. Um, I do trivia on Friday night. Occasionally, mm-hmm. I do your show. Occasionally, I do, uh, you know, one or two other ones. But I, I, I don't like to be on on Zoom all the time. Gotcha. I'm not on Facebook at all. Um, I just do emails and occasionally, you know, and it seems like, I don't know, maybe it's me, but it seems like since, since we have access to zoom now, there's an awful lot more meetings than there used to be. There are, you know, so, um, so I don't, I don't do very many community calls myself. Very good. Uh, Brian, you wanted to ask Gene something? Just, um, again, we don't know because we're complicated people. You know, I'm not just a blind person. I'm also a guy who's 67 years old, and I'm also a guy that's retired, and I'm also a guy that's married, and I'm all, you know, all these other right. Bartholomew hats. Right. So, how much of a person's situation is defined by any one of these characteristics or the interaction between two or more of these characteristics? In your case, You've moved into an apartment uh, complex. Primarily, it's uh, for older people, right? Yep. Yep. So that means you're not interacting, at least from your home environment, with younger people. Are you interacting with younger people elsewhere in your life? Not really. Um, Not much younger. Um, I have my church friends, but most of us. Most of us are, you know, people are 
a few years younger, a few years older. Um, Still your cohort age-wise in general. Yeah, mo most of the people I hang out with are, are my age or older. Few, a few that are a little bit younger, but not much. Yeah, one of the things I know as I was growing up, and I'm talking about when I was in my 20s, many of my friends were in their 30s or 40s. Uh, and that continued through pretty much my entire life. I associated with people older than me rather than my age or, or younger than me. Right. Yeah, um, I think I, did, I, I had some younger friends. I had a couple co-workers that I hung out with that were younger. and But yeah, and now that, now that you mentioned that, I think most of my friends have always been older too. Yeah. So that, is that part of who I am and who you are? Or is it indicative of, of something else? I'd be interested in having somebody study that question at some point. Uh, well, I think but it depends. Again, uh, again sorry, your but... isolation or lack of isolation, part of your life, you've chosen to live the way you are living it, right? right. You yep. could have chosen uh, you know, to live uh, in a single family home if you wanted to. I uh, but you, you chose the way you're living now and you have not found it isolating even though when you say close friends they're not in they're not living by you they're not living in the next apartment over or right. anything like that no nope. uh so you know does that lead to social isolation or is it more a matter of selective interaction i think it depends yeah. on the person some people we were. I was on a call the other day. I don't even know what it was, and it was Terry's um, visibilities. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. I don't sit in on that once in a while. And and there was there was a couple on there that said they were talking about um, moving into some senior housing, but they were afraid once they did that they would get like other people they knew and just sit and watch TV all day every day and not do anything. And um, I thought about it, and I thought, you know. Life is what you make it. And, you know, you you choose when, especially since we're all older, you choose when you retire what you want to do with your life. And I have days when I don't do much. I just, today was one of them. I just sat around and watched TV and, you know, flipped from one channel to another till I found something I wanted to watch. So what, you know, it's fine as long as you don't do that every day. Because um, if you do that every day, you are going to isolate yourself. I mean, I suppose if that's what you want to do, but. I think if 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 you can you find what you want to do in life, and if you choose if you choose to to isolate yourself, you will. If I had stayed in the apartment that I lived in before I came here, I moved here eleven years ago, and if I was still in my previous apartment, I would be very isolated. Yeah, it was there was a whole bunch of buildings, and each building had like six apartments, and everybody kind of came and went and did their own thing, so you didn't really even know your neighbors. Mm -hmm. So if I had stayed there, I would have been really, really isolated. So, um, you know, I'm glad I made the move here because, like I said, I can choose when I want to be by myself and when I don't want to be by myself. And I don't have a problem being by myself. Some people do. Yeah, you know? I got you. I Thanks for your call. Along that, you know, it doesn't bother me. Okay. Take there care. You go. Thanks for calling. Yep. 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 We, we have Melody. Hello. Hello, a while, and I wanted to get this one. It's a very um, close topic to my heart. Um, 
Clinicsentral.com/show, the Inside Mental Health Podcast. There is an episode called "Loneliness and Litigation," and a lawyer, his last name is Freiberg. He has actually um, handled cases of people who have developed physical conditions and passed due to loneliness and isolation, poverty criteria, medical conditions, people that just can't handle being around them because they don't understand situation. I'm facing all of these things now, just having moved into a very confining, not accommodating, unsafe, HUD-owned apartment complex just a little over a month ago where I can't get my own mail, take out trash, get deliveries easily, things like that, things that I was doing even before for others. And he was talking about the two types of loneliness, when you're isolated completely by yourself and when you're lonely within crowds of thousands and you just don't feel like you fit anywhere and that you're understood and you kind of sit off by yourself quiet. And I know a lot of us understand that. And it just, it really got to me because there are actually legal cases and at 37 and a half years old, experiencing a lot of things that I should not be experiencing yet and having things like just the recent severe dissociative PTSD level on autism and ADHD, the battle of these. And then all these comorbidities with what the infections did and all this diagnosed, having just got out of a ridiculous situation to have things continue to happen right before, and then to have people not let go, you know, and basically every last reason I got out of there to combat isolation is not happening now. And it's just complete silence when you know that someone is 10 minutes away from you who helped you find the community who is so distraught and who you would do anything for can't handle you you know it's 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 difficult and even my own doctor i finally got her back after so many years was concerned because my environmental identification hearing processing everything has affected the dissociation she said does that not terrify you alone i said well of course it does what choice do i have and i find that i cannot take care of me when I am completely by myself, some order and stuff for other people, groceries, I have to do something for them. I'm advocating on all the PIA and ICDR and AVL, you know, everything right. that I'm advocating, posting resources constantly to listservs. I don't sit around a lot of people my age, even a lot of visually impaired people. I don't know that they have been as active. And I started becoming active, signing petitions, contacting legislators at age 19, where I was having neither one who created me ever having worked this hard. I stand around four, ten and a half and I'm losing weight quickly. And it's kind of one of those, I need a teammate. I need a co-pilot. I need a better half. I notice that my pain, you know, normalizes my vitals, everything when I have someone there. And it's to not even be able to accommodate me and not want to subject anyone to this. I find that my trust worsens, my fear of men worsens, and I don't want to be around anyone the more I'm here, even though I do, because I feel as if I become harder to deal with. So it's very... um you know, 10 to 12 prior attempts, it's not an okay situation and it's downplayed. So it's kind of, I've even backed off from community events where I was super active in 2020 and 21. And it's, so, it's just- Melanie, when, when you say that you want someone there, do you mean you want someone physically present with you rather than online? Yes, yes. I tend cool. to sit and listen to the audiobooks, the podcasts more, sit still, sleep, you know, when there's someone there. And right. almost four decades, I had degradation and, you know, people hardly home. And when there was someone there, it was not my family of origin. And that's when I benefited. And I don't know anymore if others benefit right now. It's kind of hard to, you know, to know that with the mixed bag of information that I receive. And then the distorted thinking also worsens. Yeah. So. 
Do you, do you feel that uh, that that having folks, well, let's say like like Tuesday topics, just for the hell of it, or or folks from Tuesday topics, like say I don't know me or Brian or or somebody like that, who who you can reach out to um, if if things are are going to heck in a handbasket. Is is that is that useful or or do you really need someone I physically would give close? Anything, Paul, and and I, a certain web developer, first certain, same first name as mine, had th- thought of you and wanted to contact you, and she and I have been collaborating, and I had to try to accommodate her, and she could get up here, and if we both make it through procedures, and it's right. how can I do that? And she is, you know, you know, who helped me find her, and will do the night thing. And it's we'll throw medical information back and forth. And I even invited her to join join me possibly on a multiple disabilities Tuesday topics interview. And she said, Can I send a link to Paul? Can I contact him for you? I'm concerned, of course she would be. And I said, Of course she can't. She said, only with your permission. So yes. <laughs> Very good. We were just talking right before I got in here. So all right. So I so I will call you tomorrow. <laughs> ah, so it's has that already taken place? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I appreciate you. Okay, excellent, Miss Melanie. Thank calling. you for sharing. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that I think that it's really important for us to recognize that um, we're we're not we're not just talking about folks who are uncomfortable. Um, we're we're talking about people who, for a variety of reasons find it very difficult to function because of isolation. And I think we need to recognize that it's a very real issue and it's, and it's a very real issue that affects brothers and sisters of ours every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Miss Melanie, thank you so much. Miss Marianne. We have 501 um, area code with 974. You are unmuted. I mean, Hello. you may hear. Yeah, you are. Hello, Hi there, Paul. Hi. This is Hi. Teresa sitting out on my patio in Jacksonville, Arkansas. Oh, that's nice. I've We're both here. in Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah, just two different states. And there you um, go. isolation. Well, let's see. When I was growing up, when you go to a school for the blind, you have your circle of friends when you're in school but when you go home for vacations or summer where you're gone for a couple of months maybe more you don't see them as much um, every day and I remember in the late 80s almost 10 years after I graduated I learned of some people who were moving close to the area where I had lived when I was going to the School for the Blind in West Virginia. Uh And I remember saying to a woman, man, everybody's moving there now that I'm not living there. I said, I used to long for people to be close, you know, live close to where I lived so that I'd have somebody to talk to and pal around with in the summertime. I had one or two... um, people that were you know close to my age in fact one person did invite me to her house and her family was having a cookout and I was invited and um, my mother said I could go and in fact she took me over and she came and got me when it was time to leave nice but I'll never forget my um, high school well he was my 
history teacher through middle school and high school, he told me how he remembered um, me saying when I was in the sixth grade, how kids, you know, in the neighborhood would come to our house. They'd ask for my older sister or the boys, you know, of course they were boys and I was a girl, asked for my brother. And sometimes I'd want to go out and play with them. And my parents were afraid they'd get a little too rough for me. <laughs> but, oh, know, that's too I bad. Went to school, I went to school in West Virginia. These girls that I went to school with were hardly ladylike. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they, were, they, they lived on a farm. They knew about roughness. <laughs> and so it didn't bother me if those boys that my brother played with were rough. You know, mm-hmm. I was used to that. Um, but... um. When I graduated, I tried to make it a point to keep in touch with my friends from Romney, even if mm-hmm. I had to write to them. Slate and stylus, braille writer, bra- nice. lots of muff and lots of braille paper. And mm-hmm. this was way before the days of uh, unlimited long distance, cell phones, email, all that. You had to make it a concerted effort to stay in touch. I made other friends through um, magazines like the Ziegler and the Christian Record and the Young uh-huh. and Alive magazines. And I, you know, they were pen pals, but I got used to that. So I guess you could say I knew about virtual before there was such a word in my vocabulary. And, and, um, and you found ways, you found ways of, of right. not being isolated by reaching out right. to others and maintaining exactly. contacts. Right, That's, because um, yep. I, I did not live on campus when I first started college. I lived at home with my parents, and I'm sure you know what I'm about to say. The people mm-hmm. I knew from college did not exactly come out to want to visit me. They came out. It was a no. Reason. Yep. And exactly. It was not. It was not to. Um, it was mainly to um, work on a project. Or do this or do that, but mm-hmm. it was not. Would you like to come? You know, let hang out with us this evening. Yep, I, I get one that. person, one person, one time invited me to a play, and I have a feeling she didn't have, she couldn't find anyone else to go with her because it was just she and I, no one else. I I think and, that um, one of the things you're saying, though, Teresa, is that is that um, sometimes without necessarily meaning to do it, um, folks who interact with us like parents and other people with whom we live actually contribute to our isolation some. Yeah, probably. My dad didn't understand why I didn't have a lot of friends who were, quote, not blind, you know, who were sighted. Well, it's, you know, they got to, they had to want to come to me too. And That's they might true. have walked by me by my desk in class and said hello. Or mm-hmm. maybe I did hang out with a few people in the student center and eat lunch. Yep. Now, there was a girl, there was a young lady who came along about my third year there, and she was a partial. In fact, um, I knew her younger sister. Mm-hmm. And now we got to be friends, but she had a, a family commitment. So, she couldn't always do things with me in the evening. Plus, mm-hmm. she lived eight miles away, and like you know, neither one of us drive drove. Mm-hmm. She was a partial, mm-hmm. and so it would have been up to someone else. So we spent our daytime in school. You know, when we were in class, between classes, talking and visiting and whatnot. Then I ended up transferring. Now, when I went to Marshall University. 
it was a little easier to get to know people because I was in a residence hall and I could go out of my room, go down That's the hall, excellent. go outside. And that made a big, you know, I had my freedom because I could, you know, I could practice all my mobility skills and everything. Yep. Yep. Um, Ms. Teresa, makes a difference. thank you so much yeah. for sharing. Yeah. But when I, okay, now when I lived in this one high rise here, well, I was in Little Rock for five years. It, um, I didn't know a lot of people, but at least I had the opportunity. You know, I'd go down the elevator, I'd sit out in the lobby, I'd say, is my bus outside? And people were nice enough to tell me yes or no. In fact, there was this one young kid about 10 or 11 years old, and he used to like to walk me out to the bus when it showed up. You know, he didn't have to, but he did. And I gave him and his sister some um, leftover Halloween candy. That's just, excellent. You know, for them being nice to yeah. me. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I did try to, you know, get to know younger people as mm -hmm. well. Miss Teresa, thanks for your call and thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Excellent. We have Natalie. Hey, Natalie. Hello, I have to come on Tuesday Topics to talk to you. <laughs> it's terrible. Congratulations. <laughs> One of ACB's newest employees, Miss Natalie Couch. There you Thanks. go. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to comment about um, when you, I can't remember if it was you or Brian or somebody asking about um, if, you know, if we can't see each other, um, if it makes a difference, if we're all in the same space. I know that wasn't quite how you worded it, but, you know. Yeah. Um, and to me, it it totally does. I know I can't, I mean, I can't see people anyway. And some people say that it really shouldn't make a difference whether I'm on Zoom with them or whatever, because it's all just audio. But just to be able to hear, and this probably isn't going to make sense, but just to be able to hear like, you know, movements and, and stuff so that you know that they're real. Does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. on Zoom, you know, everything is just a voice and a name. So um, I, I do find that um, for me, I do need that um, interaction, you know, to be able to know that people are real. And I was kind of scared that, um, you know, changing from going to the office every day to working at home, um, that it might, you know, it, it, it might not go well for me, but, um, actually I really like it. And I think because I talk to enough people every day that, um, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel isolated being at home. So I know that, um, that one of the things that I was overjoyed at, um, last November when when I went up to Louisville was I, I had talked to you as far back as 2009 I think Miss Natalie yeah but something like really that, yeah. the first time that that we got an opportunity to spend any quality time in person together was when I was up in Louisville in November and I can't tell you what a difference that made yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I knew you were real to begin with, but you know to be <laughs> able to to physically you know yeah touch that yep. person and and just you know and even yeah. just you know sitting next to you in the same time even if yeah. we're not talking you know whatever but um it makes a it, difference i i it, just how can you overstate the importance of proximity mm -hmm. yeah in in relationships whatever they might be uh i you know i'm i feel close to my brothers but I haven't been in their presence for 
four years. So it does feel a little disconnected, no matter how mm-hmm. often I talk to them and how important the subjects are that we're talking about or how unimportant they are. Uh, that's one of the great things about being with somebody. You can be with them and not have to think of it as, is this time productive? Doesn't have to be productive. Yep. Uh, yep. And much harder to do. Well, Miss Natalie, thank, you, thank for you for your call, dear. You're welcome. Have a good and night. And we will we will Take talk care. soon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we have Connie. Hey, Connie. You From California, unmute. I suspect. Connie Bateman, you you may unmute Connie. Yep. Hi, can you there hear you me? Are. Yes, we can. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, you guys, for doing this topic. I'm very passionate about it. So I jumped on the ACB community calls at the beginning and went to the social coffee socials on Tuesday, Thursday mornings. And then the um, Roger Dennis started the Widows and Widows Support Group. So I started going to that. It's still going to that. I was going to a lot of them because I re- uh, my husband passed away in December 2019. And then, as you know, shortly after that, we started hearing about COVID and were told Pretty to shelter dead. in place by February. And uh, I was a teacher at the time and the school districts closed. And then we all had to come back and learn Zoom. And, and so at the beginning, I was going to a lot of community calls, especially when I retired in 2020. But then uh, once things started opening up again, you know, I realized, hey, it's, it's, it's time to get out. Okay. I joined at the beginning because I knew the worst thing I could do when my husband passed away was to disconnect myself from people and isolate myself. But then when things started opening up, um, I started getting out. So, so as a result, now I'm not on that many community calls because I'm getting out and socializing. So instead of going to the exercise classes, you know, with the ACB community calls, I'm walking with senior escort volunteers. I'm going to game days. I'm going to an exercise class called Moving On, which incorporates dance movements with, you know, for the exercise routines. I'm calling friends and getting together for lunch. Now, all of this takes effort. That's the key. It takes effort. It, it took effort before the pandemic, and it takes just as much effort now that, that it's, we're moving along. And my husband was sighted and and drove us to a lot of the mm-hmm. social things we used to go to. But now it takes extra effort because he's gone. I have to, you know, I've been using Instacart and DoorDash to order yeah. food to be delivered because it's just more convenient. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm using paratransit and Uber to get out and spend time with friends. So uh, as much as I love these ACB community calls, mm-hmm. I must, I, my opinion is, it must not be a substitute for getting out and socializing mm-hmm. in the community. I think we've already stated that. Um, you know, I understand there are some people who have secondary health conditions, you know, which affects their their ability to get out and move around and their mobility and all that. I get that. But for those of us who are healthy and can get out, I think we need to make an effort to get out, get back out there. Get, you know, you we have the get up and get moving campaign. I think we need a get out and get social campaign or get out and get a life yep. campaign. <laughs> now, yeah, did, when, when you first started doing that, Connie, did, 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 did you have some concerns? Did you start out wearing your mask most of the time? Did you, did, did, did you have any feelings of uncertainty or did you just say the heck with it? I'm going to go for it. I think I just basically said the heck with it. I'm tired of this. Gotcha. Uh, I, need to, I need to get out. Enough is enough. You know, let, let I'm getting out. 
So that yeah. that is excellent, Miss Connie. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Very much appreciated. Yep. We have Regina Marie. Hey, Regina Hello, Marie Paul from California. Sacramento, California yeah. Brigade. Here. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say the word that occurred to me as I heard the discussion is balance. Yeah. So I think we need in our lives to look for balance. And balance for you might be different for me and different for my daughter. So balance. Yes. I, I will say that I love hanging around with young people. I had the house where first all the boys congregated because I had three boys. And then my daughter was much younger. So then it was a bunch of girls uh, congregated at my house. And I still have groups of young people that call me mom and come by. Nice. And they would do just about anything for me. And I talked to them. I talk to them about social issues. I talk to them about their opinions about what's going on in 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 our local and and national and everything. And getting to hear young people is, I think, is important. And I there's a gerontology program in San Diego right now that's experimenting with bringing together people that are college students and then people that are um, over sixty five and. Their gerontology program is purposefully trying to pair people um, with some younger folks. That is so cool. Yeah. And I think it's going to be very successful. I do think the community calls can be useful, but I think we have to balance them. And I know during the pandemic, they were lifesavers for some people. Sure. But I... I've even, we used to run one weekly and we talked to our folks and we said, let's, let's stop. And then they said, no, we want to still check in. So we said, what about once a month? And they're like, no. So we said, okay, every other week. And we're still trying to get to once a month. We, we want to encourage people to get out. We want to be there for each other and connect, but we don't want that to be a substitute for going out if you can get out in any kind of way. Sometimes you have to just go downstairs to a social area in your complex. Or sometimes, yep. you know, it, it looks different for everybody. I, I'm a social butterfly. I was before the pandemic. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, but I still wear a mask in big crowds. I wear a mask wherever I feel like there's a lot, a lot of people and close contact where I'm not going to know a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know their habits and I don't know what's going on. So, and I, I was a little germaphobic beforehand, but what I noticed is (laughs) I didn't get the flu or a cold or anything during that time. So I balance it. And if I'm in places where I pretty much know everybody and stuff, I just remove the mask and I use the sanitizer still, but right. I'm out. And One of the things that, that your Sacramento chapter did um, during the pandemic, and, and at least to some degree after it, was this really cool play. Did you guys consciously do that to, to, uh, to, to lessen isolation, or, or did it just happen? We did that because our chapter had gone through a difficult time and we were trying to bring people together. And the plans were actually made pre-pandemic. Nice. But we kind of modified them during the pandemic. And we had people go to the studio in smaller groups and just 
you know, people that were comfortable being around each other. So it mm-hmm. did relieve a lot of the isolation because we were actually in the recording studio together. And we we had opportunities to, and we tried to come up with smaller gatherings and ways to yep. do to do things in smaller groups because the isolation and we we have like a larger chapter it's over 40 people so we want to kind of get people connected yep and so there were people that had been close before the pandemic and so i would encourage people to come and we would do things outside and ask people to sit by your cohorts and that kind of thing excellent so we didn't really suspend all of our in-person stuff in our chapter ever we always tried to have some in person and now we still have hybrid meetings because there's still some of us not comfortable going out Mm -hmm. but those of us that are in person we're loving it and we're encouraging when people can to come in person to to our um, Mm -hmm. to our meetings excellent mr brian did you want to ask regina something just just in general terms uh to go out and be social when you have already established friends that's one thing do you go to uh public places like libraries and the Y, YMCA or uh, (laughs) senior center, any of those things as a way to keep yourself going? Pre-pandemic, we worked out at the YMCA. So we continued that through the pandemic as much as we could. Um, I like to go in the pool and they let us do pool with social distancing. And you know, those little hand holder things that kids use with their parents, they put one end on the wrist and the other end on the parent's wrist. I hooked mm-hmm. two of those together to make six feet, and my friend and I would swim together, my sighted friend. <laughs> What's a neat idea? So I could stay in my lane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we had to well, be six feet apart. So we said, okay, mm-hmm. we'll do it. Um, so, yes, the why we have our Asian Community Center that's now the Community of Caring. They've changed their name because it it will, they welcome everybody. And so that Connie's involved with that. Our chapter is developing a relationship with them to try to offer more classes for people that have low vision or are blind. And so, yeah, we do connect with senior centers. We're going out now to resource fairs as a chapter to let people know about us, to know we're here, what we do, and hopefully to get some more people in CCB. Yeah. Excellent. Miss Virginia Marie, Excellent. thank you so much for your call and, and say hey to your husband for us. I will. Good. Very good. <clears throat> we have um, area code 508 with last three digits 613. Hello, everybody. This Hi is there. James Marie from Falmouth, Massachusetts, your Cape Cod connection. Hi, Brian. And hi, Hello Larry. There. How are you? Um, what a great topic. I don't consider myself lonely, never have. However, I consider myself, I like to do things by myself, and I consider myself a loner. Um, but I retired 19 years ago, and prior to the pandemic, I was very active in town government and the senior center and going out and friends. And then in 2019, my life changed. My dad passed away. Two of my friends who were longtime mentors in the blindness area here locally and in my life. And I lost all my vision. So I came into a real deep, dark 
place in my life called heavy depression. Mm-hmm. And no one would listen to me. And I might kind of stop living. And my family noticed it. And so then last year, I was in and out of rehab. And I think my sister wanted sisters wanted me to stay there. But I came, went from short-term to long-term. And I had some issues with the staff, with my mm-hmm. blindness. I made a com- complaint. As Brian knows, I can be a very good advocate. <laughs> and um, I was kicking in. I said, I want out of here. So I came home, had some rehab, and I have a very long path to get up to my door, up to the top where I wait for the bus. Nice. And my sisters like to try to control my life. But as of last month, I am back out doing things that I like to do. I've gone to the senior, back to the senior center. They have a brand new gym. And um, I'm back involved in my town government and my advocacy and going out and being with people. But the one thing that really has kept me going is actually I'm going to mention her name and Larry knows who I'm going to talk about is my dear friend. And people sometimes think that we're sisters and talk every day, sometimes twice a day. Her children talk to me every day and she lives out in California and her husband and I have the same syndrome of retinitis pigmentosis, how we met in 1996. But we go shopping, she said to me, Jane, because I would have my cart and I'd be down like three aisles. And she goes, oh, my God, you need to remind me of my friend Melinda. <laughs> and then after being on these calls, it was love, Larry's lovely wife that passed away. Yeah. So it's been through Zoom that I've made new friends, reacquainted with old friends. And I think Zoom calls are wonderful, but I'm glad to be back out in the world again. And the other thing is the only call that I usually – are on every week faithfully is the one that was on today at 4 p.m. and that's aging alliance vision loss support group so, nice you know, so excellent we, really we think, have I thank we you appreciate for your feedback thank you for allowing yep. me to share and larry oh, hello <laughs> we have denise hello everyone hi there I have never been a very extroverted person. I've always been more of an introvert. And I, even as I was going to school, uh, my friends were primarily my blind friends that I was going to school with. I had a few sighted friends, but not a whole lot. Um, One of my, it's kind of interesting because I've had two different experiences of being by myself. Um, the first time I was living alone and uh, I wasn't working and I really had no uh, outside activities and it was horrible um, mm-hmm. and it was extremely depressing. And while I, I have always been involved in church um, at that time, I, and I was single at that time, I wasn't, I was involved in a singles group at my church, but not well enough to be able to reach out and feel comfortable picking up the phone and calling mm-hmm. somebody and saying, hey, you want to go to lunch or, you know, whatever. I just, I just never felt comfortable. Um, and then um, I moved from eastern Washington to western Washington after Pearl and I got married. 
Well, that was totally different because it was the two of us and, you know, we could do things together and his friends, because he'd lived there before, became my friends. And um, we got involved in a church that I was involved with for 39 years. And nice. by the time, um, you know, after, with all of that, yeah, you make friends and you, uh, you know, you have people I had, a, uh, especially after he passed away, I had... Um, a group of women that single women who you know i did things with and um and it was you know it was very nice and it helped me get through some some rough times dealing with uh widowhood and health issues then i moved clear across country <laughs> and you would think that I would be in an area where all kinds of things were going on and I could do all kinds of things. But I'm in an area where I'm confined to my county, essentially, mm. in terms of paratransit. Right. And paratransit, that only runs until five in the afternoon and doesn't run on Dear. the weekends. So, you know, trying to do anything or go anywhere is difficult. Uh, the blind people that I've met here are for one thing every every place you go here takes you an hour to get to i mean oh, i mean yep. it, you can't go anywhere without it taking an hour so mm -hmm. um <laughs> uh you know and i've heard all these horror stories about public transportation here and you know i've opted to live where i am which is a safer area i don't want to mm -hmm. be right downtown you know so you make those decisions but what i would say is um I, I I have family here. So I have a sister. I have two nieces. I have lots of her grandkids um, that I get to interact with. And it's a whole different um, feeling than what I used to have because I, I feel like more that I'm more of a part of a family than I was. I don't do a lot of community calls, but I do get on a few. And interestingly enough, um, I find it interesting because I can get on a community call and I can just enjoy talking to people and and being a part of whatever is going on in the community call. Mm -hmm. My family, however, my sister especially, hates hates Zoom, hates community calls, <laughs> won't do things unless she's there seeing people. Um, she, you know, she just you know can't do that, and mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for Zoom because. Um, technology because i didn't have that the first time i was going through my my right. isolation i um i have facebook but i very rarely get on it because i don't like it either i tend to text a lot um and i have one of the things that social media i mean that technology has done has made it possible for me to be a part of a women's bible study with the ladies from my church back in washington and I, How you know, cool I get to interact with them and I get to do that every other week. And it's very special because you get to talk. There's a five of us and you get to talk to each other and you get to pray together. And the five of us are all people who went to that church, but now we've all moved away to other places. But we've decided, you know, we want to stay together. So I, I you know, one of the one of the things is probably a a, a a problem for me, I guess, is I don't like doing things by myself. I don't like going out by myself. I won't go to a restaurant by myself or a movie by myself. 
I probably would not go to the senior center or the Y or any of those places because I just am not comfortable. I don't like doing it by myself. I feel I feel like I'm I'm sticking out and like yeah. you know I'm, I'm you know it's very obvious. So um, you know I've been really grateful for what, I mean I spend a lot of time on my computer. I spend a lot of time. Um, emailing, texting, and I am very grateful for those things because um, without them, there would Less be a lot time. more isolation. Yep. Miss Denise, time. thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you very much. We Excellent. have Linda and then um, 434 area code. Hi there. Hi there. Um, hi. hi, it's good to be here. Um, I got a lot of angles about this isolation issue, and I don't know. Well, uh, okay, so I'm a low partial. Uh, you know, I'm 75. I'm uh, on my own. Um, I moved here from Florida four four years ago because uh, they opted out of Section 8 housing, so I couldn't find a place to live. So I'm in Massachusetts. I'm originally from Connecticut, but anyways, okay. So the issues are, uh, I, I don't know how to break this down. One of them is, okay, I have a sister who, if it wasn't for her, you know, she did, she did a lot of, she helped me to settle in and so forth, so on. Um, and it's great. Um, she, we have uh, differences of opinion about being vaccinated and, She's telling me, don't get another vaccination, you're going to die, and 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 things like that. And she won't have me in her house because she doesn't want to make her place accessible, which never was like that before. Uh, she won't come up here to my apartment upstairs. Uh, she's allergic to, she's like cooks from scratch, and she won't eat in a restaurant. Um, so, I mean, we don't have what, even what we used Alexa, to have. What time um, is it? Yeah. Uh, hello. <clears throat> no, go ahead. We're 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 hearing you. Okay. So so that that's um you know one issue, and I have a, a friend that used to be uh, work at the senior center as a volunteer that delivered groceries because I live where there's no paratransit um or fixed routes. Okay. Mm -hmm. They got the senior center bus, and they have this experimental uh they have this uh. Uh, for a month, they're going to have a, a a thing where the, they talk about, uh, well, it's a transportation uh, called Annex, and it's for people with wheelchairs or people that, like myself, that would rather have door-to-door. -door. I won't take over because I've been stranded where they'd let me off, and I wouldn't know where the heck I was, and they don't speak English, and I'm just like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And the other issue... Oh, yeah. So my friend that used to deliver groceries. Now, we're good friends, but she's not vaccinated and she won't even uh, wear a mask in the car uh, to go some, you know, somewhere that's five minutes away from here to, to do food. So we talk on the phone every week and we've been doing mm -hmm. that for the last three years. I'm grateful for the community, I, the exercise that Leslie's classes, I mean. You know, that's how I exercise. I go for a walk you know, around the, the neighborhood, uh, you know, with a neighbor uh, or by myself. Um, 
you know, to get out. Um, but the other issue is the hearing. <laughs> you know, I, I stick, I, I too feel like I stick out like a sore throat thumb a lot of times. Um, I don't, other than my friend that I walk with who, he's a nice guy. He'll do anything he's able to do for you, but he has a little bit of a dementia or something and he's not we can't have any deep conversations you know what i'm saying it's just he's a good guy for what for who he is so but the hearing thing uh and and the vision you know i'll ask somebody to identify who they are if i don't know who they are and most of the time they don't tell me occasionally somebody will so it's mostly like hi how are you fine how are you okay well have a nice day <laughs> And it kind of stinks, just not kind of, it just does. Um, yep. And the hearing thing, I, there's a social I want to go to with my chapter, and I'm hesitant to go. I know I have the transportation if I want to use that pilot thing, but I'm worried that I'm going to uh, feel isolated because of the hearing and regret going. And yet the other part of me is like, get the heck out of the house. I want to socialize. You know, and I went in the past to to a restaurant with my provider for the deaf blind, but she's unavailable because she's going to a college uh, right. reunion. So I'm I, I'm wondering if I should go by myself or not. And that's pretty much. Um, I I, okay, I would. No, voiceovers yakking. Hold on, I got to shut voiceover up. Hold on. Speech off. Yay. <laughs> no, <laughs> what we saying? I, I, I would go for it. And and we appreciate your sharing. Thank you very much. I think it's it's been really helpful to get a perspective of somebody who's not only um, a, a low partial, but is also uh, substantially hearing impaired. So thank you for sharing with us. Thanks. And there's that whole COVID conundrum thing about yeah. you know, the yep. differences, too. Yep. Um, so I, I do appreciate Zoom. Uh, and I... I, I do go to uh, church via Zoom, and sometimes I'll I'll get out. But for the most part, I I do Zoom because I love, and I have to admit this: one person talking at a time is a lot better than being <laughs> a crowd where I can't hear squats. And I don't like it, but that's the way it is. And I'm done talking. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Linda. Thank you for Thank calling, you. Linda. Yep. We have area code four three four, and then we have Larry Johnson. Area Hi, code this is Trisha. Um, I am so glad you guys are doing this topic. I am fortunately healthy, but life has changed for me because I have not tolerated the vaccine well. So I'm in a situation where I'm not isolated. I'm very, very grateful, very blessed to have wonderful neighbors. We hang out. I live in an apartment. We're kind of close together. We hang out on our front porches and talk. Uh, we go places and do things. Um, but I am in a situation where now I'm going to the Y and go swimming, and I do go to church, but I'm avoiding really big crowded situations, so I'm staying home from those. So I'm kind of, okay, I got one leg on one side of the fence, one leg on the other. Um, yep. trying to get a little, I don't require a lot of social interaction to be happy. Everybody needs some, but I love the community. I have a notebook 
it is it is nothing but community. It has all the passcode, the ID numbers and passcodes, and when they are. And I I absolutely love the community. It is so um, because life isn't going to be the same for me probably for a long time. So right. it's wonderful. Yes, it, social interaction is important. Being face to face is important, but. The community, you can go to an exercise class and feel like you belong. I have been, I have felt more isolated in a crowd than I have when I'm by myself. And that, that can happen. More you've made, you make, you make a huge point. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I know when, when, when we go to meetings that we're supposed to attend or we want to attend, it's, it's, you sometimes feel very isolated because other people often, don't reach out to talk with you. So I think you're absolutely right. It's a good point. Yes, yes, yes. But no, I didn't have the community for a week because my phone's network was having issues. I was in tears. And it's Aww. not because I was isolated. It was not. Oh, oh, I was just, I was just so unhappy. And when I got it back, I was overjoyed. And it's not because I don't have friends. It's not because I don't have people. But this, for one thing, I think the blind community here, I'm not going to say where I live, but the blind community here is not a healthy situation. Uh, for many years, it's been, I have a very few blind friends here, a lot, a lot of backstabbing and gossip, people uh, with too much time on their hands. Yeah. No fun. The, yeah. The no community has, no, it, and that's another kind of isolation. Um, you know, if you achieve something, it's like, well, she thinks she's all that. And yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. That kind of mess. <laughs> the, the, the community, we lift each other up. We encourage each other. We help each other move forward. So it, it serves a very valuable purpose. And I have a notebook that is full of meeting IDs and passcodes. And uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't skip interaction outside of my apartment for the community. But I, if I can you know, work around it, and I will do that, absolutely. Because I'm not, well, even at church, I'm going to the service that's lightly attended. I sing on praise team, mm -hmm. so I'm away from people. Mm -hmm. And uh, when, I, when I go to the Y, I don't go to crowded classes. So the community makes up for that. It's so important. Excellent. Well, thank, thank you so you much for, for your call. And, thank and you. You didn't, you didn't tell us your first name. What's your first name? I'm sorry, I'm Trisha. Hey, Trisha. Thank you Thanks. very much. Hello, hello. We appreciate it. And Mr. Johnson, how are you, sir? Good evening. I'm a little late, and I don't know if I've missed this, but I wanted to share with you a couple of um, general comments about loneliness. You know, the U.S. Surgeon General just issued an advisory, which was kind of kind of scary. He said there's an epidemic of loneliness in our country, and that 50 percent of U.S. adults report experiencing measurable levels of loneliness. And the report also warned that the physical consequences of poor connection or loneliness can be devastating, including a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, and a 50% increase 
in the risk of developing dementia. So this is not just for blind people. This is in general how impactful this social isolation can be for some people. Interestingly enough, not all people experience loneliness the same way. In fact, according to some researchers, they say loneliness may be genetic. They believe that loneliness in some people causes a yearning for social connection in the same way that hunger makes us crave food. That there are people who feel lonely no matter how many other people there are around them. And there are other people who can be alone for long periods of time and never feel lonely. So the inspector general's report, Larry, made four or five suggestions. Do you, do you think they made sense? Yeah, I, I don't know how specific they were or how applicable they can be for people to understand them. But basically, and a lot of the folks have been talking about this, is you've got to make an effort to create some social connections. And and he was pretty clear about the fact that internet connections and Facebook connections and virtual connections are not the same thing at all. And so one of the things that he also mentioned, if you recall, is that there's been a significant decline in the membership of organizations right. Athletic associations, and I don't know where we stand as an organization with regard to that, but obviously it kind of sends a signal that we do, and I think it was, um, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I forgot. One lady who talked about, you know, experiencing depression and loneliness after losing her husband and then finally deciding enough is enough, I'm going to go out and Yep. create relationships again, and and it made a difference for her. Now, not everybody has that initiative or can do that, so it's it's uh, it's really challenging. And yeah, the Surgeon General's ideas are maybe a good blueprint, but you know, I don't think they're bad. He he suggested um, suggested five things. One that we get um, really active. Um, with our neighbors and that we make a point of checking on them uh, pretty frequently, especially if we if we know there there may be some issues that are operating. Um, yeah. Second, um, he yeah. talked he talked a lot uh, about uh, about the need for each of us to make conscious efforts to reach out there and and do more. Mm -hmm. um, rather than simply accepting the isolation. And he recommended getting involved either in church groups or organizations as a third alternative. His fourth suggestion uh, with, regard to, with regard to trying to combat the loneliness um, had to do with trying to get some regular activities scheduled, frankly, like community calls, book clubs, and other things where where we actually have specific elements of our time that are taken up. So those are some of the things he talked about. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned particularly the one, and I think it is one that ACB and the various chapters and affiliates should take to heart, particularly maybe the uh, AAVL, which is the Aging and uh, uh, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, because loneliness is particularly dangerous and uh, and rather widespread among older people. And so I think that organizations and affiliates like that should make a special effort as part of their projects to reach out to their members and to non-members. I know that there's been a lot of talk here lately about Meals on Wheels doing a little more social interaction right. when they deliver the meals. I think that would be good. Larry, thank you so much for your call. We want to try and get in a couple more bits before, before things end. So thank you very much for calling in. You're your welcome. points, as always, were, were very valuable. You have area code 808. Good afternoon, Paul, Brian. How you guys doing? Good. Doing well. Doing well. This is uh, so Kimmy in uh, Hawaii. Um, I, I want to come in because and just give my point of view of, of the pandemic and the shutdown and everything. So just to tell you a story real quick. Uh, I moved to Hawaii in 07 in July, and a month and a half later, I went to the comedy club here because that's what I do, and I auditioned, and I got accepted and, you know, hired on at the comedy club, and then in 08, we moved to a hotel in Waikiki, and we were doing the show there two, three nights a week. Uh, and then we also brought another hotel in. They they got a contract with another hotel in Waikiki, and we were doing the show there two nights a week. So I was going down doing the show two nights a week. I got my vending stand, um, you know, and I would get home 11, 12 o'clock at night, back up at 3 in the morning to go to work at the vending stand, work up there all day, and then leave there and come home and then go back out and do the show. And right. So for 12 years, we were doing the show two, three nights a week. And I'm working every day and this and that on the vending stand. And my point of view of the pandemic and the shutdown seems to be very different than a lot of other people's point of view. Now, I don't want to take away from the tragedy of the pandemic and the suffering and loss um, that so many people went through. Uh, but when it sh when the shutdown happened, I couldn't go to the vending. I couldn't go do the show, and I was sitting around here home, and it felt so good, and <laughs> it let me know how much that grind of coming in late at night, getting up early, going back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It really let me know how much that grind of that for twelve years. Uh, was wearing on me. So for me, and I guess you would call this the byproduct of the pandemic, for me, the shutdown shut everything down and being home and not doing anything and relaxing 
for me, the pandemic was one of the greatest things that happened. It, it really showed me uh, how much I was killing myself being in that grind because I'm not a young man. And the lady who runs the comedy club, we've talked and uh, we were friends, okay, all along. But mm-hmm. it, it has brought us so much closer because I would come into the to the club at the hotel and she would say, okay, Kenny, we got um, uh, six guys stage left. It's a bachelor party. They're pretty drunk. They've been in here drinking since five o'clock in the evening. <laughs> uh, stage right, we got two blah, 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 blah. So we'll leave them alone and blah, blah. And she said, okay, you're going to do 20 minutes tonight. Okay, don't do your song tonight. Blah, 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 because we got a guest comic in. And that's, that was our extent of, of, of our conversation. The communication, I would right. come in and she would, yeah, and she would tell me what was what with the audience. Uh, we normally have 80 to 100 people in the audience. And sometimes she would walk me out back to the um, section where I would wait to uh, get my pickup, and I would meet a lot of nice people from all over the world. And since, and when, when the shutdown happened, her and I would talk every now and then, and our relationship has become so much closer. And nice. our relationship has just evolved. Being able to talk on the phone, and now we talk for an hour, hour and a half on the phone. Her husband nice. passed away a long time ago, and my wife just passed away two years ago. And she talked me through that, let me know what to expect. Uh, mm-hmm. when she was going to get closer to passing away, what to look for. I mean, our relationship has grown so solid. So that is excellent. For me, so, and, and she also felt the same thing that that grind was wearing her down too. And so when we got, got the opportunity not to get out of that because of the pandemic and what it caused, I think that we were too busy feeling relieved to feel isolated. Mr. It, Kenny, we're going to have to, we're going to have to cut it. Yeah, short, I'm sorry. Sir, because we're out of time. No, friend of mine. Okay. Um, but Mr. yeah, it was just a, it was a good yep, thing, but I'm sorry. There you go. Take care, my friend, Mr. Brian, final comments. Final comments is, uh, I hope, that everybody who's listening in tonight realize that this issue of loneliness is something many, many, many people suffer from. And maybe you can take a little extra of your time to help somebody else through their loneliness, through reaching out and talking to them, through uh, being yourself a social person out there as much as you can. Blindness needn't be an isolating thing. But as you've heard this evening, it takes effort to keep that from being the case. I think that my final comments, and I'll give you a chance to, to take about 20 seconds in a second, Marianne uh, and Larry. My, my final comment would be we have to recognize that, that for people who are blind, this is a serious issue. And we have to work on some ways as an organization um, that we can function to to lessen the impact that this is having on our folks. Uh, Marianne? 
Yeah, we do that too. And, and and it's a really important function of Southwest Florida Council of the Blind. We have a once a month social and we have book club and it really does draw people out. Excellent. Larry, final comment? I had no idea it was as serious as it is. I knew it was serious, but until I heard Melody talk tonight and I thought, oh my gosh, because I've actually talked to or heard from someone who is going through that and it's it's horrible. It is. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Tuesday Topics next week. I will be in Bermuda, and we're not sure whether we're going to do Tuesday Topics or not. In the meantime, good night.